With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Another edition of Victor's Valley podcast here on SB Nation and MazingGrew.com. My name is Vaughn Lozon, and joining me today is my good pal, the man, the myth, the legend, Andy McDonald. How are we doing today, man? Doing as good as it can be for a Monday. They're not usually the best, but you know, today isn't any better. <laughs> today is not any better. Uh, we'll get into the reason behind that in just a moment. But before we start the recap here, I want to uh, inform all of you that. AmazingBrew.com is not the only place that you can go to listen to us now. You can subscribe to Amazing Brew Podcasts on iTunes and the Google Play Store. You'll get us on the go, and you'll get a notification the second this show is posted, and it'll be delivered right to your iPhone or Android-enabled device. That's Amazing Brew Podcasts on iTunes and the Google Play Store, so make sure you subscribe and listen free today. Um, but as Andy alluded to, we're not doing very well. On this Monday, and the reason being is because our <laughs> beloved Michigan Wolverines let us down on Saturday night uh, against the Michigan State Spartans at home. Under the lights, 14-10. to 10. Um, You know, I, I think the best word to put the offense is nightmare because it, it was like a bad dream watching them play. It 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 was a bad dream watching them play on offense uh, this past Saturday. I mean, whether it was... Uh, you know, uh, kind of questionable play calling at some points, uh, you know, throwing at times when they shouldn't have, running at times when they shouldn't have. It just seemed like 
they didn't really know what they were doing uh, coaching-wise. And, you know, the guys on the field, they, at that point, they were just, you know, trusting in their coaches. And their coaches, I think, for the most part, let them down. But no excuses to be made about John O'Corn, uh, you know, even throwing 35 times in a hurricane. Uh, he had 198 yards. And at one point, he threw three straight interceptions. Um not just it's just not good. Uh, QBR of 19.9. On the other side, Lowerky was pretty limited by Michigan's defense. Um, you know they're ranked number one nationally for a reason. Lowerky was 11 for 22, 94 passing yards, one passing touchdown. Uh, I, I think Michigan State did a little more of their damage on the ground, especially with Lowerky who had a rushing touchdown. Um, he had 61 yards, but Madre London was their other leading ball carrier. He had uh, 10 carries for 59 yards. Didn't use LJ Scott at all, uh, which was pretty surprising to me. I, I figured that he would get more of their carries, but it's I, I don't know if they're trying to face him out of the offense or if they just like uh, Madre London a little more, but uh, a little shocking to me that LJ Scott didn't uh, didn't get an entire snap uh, or uh, uh, one one carry. He didn't get one carry uh, in the reception. Uh, just just baffles me a little bit there, but uh, receiving wise, didn't the Michigan State didn't do a whole lot, but on the other side, Michigan didn't really do a whole lot either. Grant Perry had a nice game with five catches for 61 yards, but other than that, your leading receivers were Sean McCune with 59 yards, uh, but one costly fumble there uh, towards the end of the first half that uh, Michigan was driving, getting them into at least field goal range, uh, but after him, Kron Higdon, 33 reception yards. Khalid Hill, 18 reception yards. Chris Evans, 14 reception yards. Um, I think we're seeing a trend here of guys that are uh, leading your receiving yards, and they're not wide receivers. Uh, Eddie McDoom had one catch. Maurice Ways had one catch. Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't have a single catch, and Kakoa Crawford didn't have a single catch. So you would really like to see those guys get a little more involved on the offense and get a little more separation from those cornerbacks those defensive backs because it doesn't seem like they're getting any separation at all um I, I saw that Nick Bumgarner had a pretty nice article out this morning uh that that a lot of it is is due to the fact that uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones for example is is really shuffling his feet at the line of scrimmage and not really having a chance to make separation um you know with with those defensive backs that you know, he, he's not getting open simply because of those, you know, freshman mistakes of not running with your route and then making a move. He's trying to do everything all too much once the play is uh, is starting and not really developing. So uh, and, and this is really where losing Tariq Black hurts, hurts your receiving core because he was he was the one that was fluid with your route running. And uh, it, it really hurts to to see the offense look this way. But um Rushing real quick, I'll hint on. Uh, Peoples-Jones did have one rush for six yards. Uh, Higdon led the way with 65 rushing yards. He looked pretty good for the uh, majority of the night. Chris Evans, though, just 27 yards on the same amount of carries as Higdon, 12. And Isaac looks just absolutely dreadful. Um, four carries, nine yards, one fumble on Michigan's second drive after their field goal. Uh, and, and it was looking to be a pretty productive second drive as well up until that fumble, but that kind of stalled them out, and Michigan State capitalized. So uh, Michigan State, uh, basically just to sum all this up, Michigan State took advantage of uh, the opportunities that were presented to them. 
Michigan really dug themselves into a deep hole and were never really able to dig themselves out. Um, uh, that, that's really all all I can say about this uh, this bad dream, this nightmare uh, of a game. Defense looked stout as usual. Uh, Maurice Hurst eight tackles, two and a half for for loss. Devin Bush eight tackles, one of each seven. Mike McCray six, Rashawn Gary six. So the line looked really good. Uh, the secondary held up, I thought, really nicely. Um, uh, you know, Tyree Kinnell was getting in there. I know that he had a pass interference call, a kind of a questionable call, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, they're most they're 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 most certainly were uh, both ways. Um, but but yeah, Michigan had the one final chance to to get a touchdown on their last drive. They had. Uh, about three or four seconds to to just heave it down the field. The corn heaved it down the field, and no one came up with the ball. It was incomplete, so the game ended there. Lot of lot of problems offensively, specifically. A lot of uh, things that need to be improved on, uh, especially quickly with Penn State looming here in a couple weeks. But they got to get through Indiana first, and and that's on the road this Saturday. So I ask you, Andy. What do you think is is the biggest problem, or what do you think was the biggest problem this past Saturday against Michigan State? Uh, well, I mean, you can't point it towards the defense at all. I think it's pretty obvious on what side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, um, it was on the offense. Everybody wants to place blame. It's 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 the offense and the and the coaching staff right now that is in a lot of question, and with good reason. Um, all the stuff coming out right now about you know Harbaugh's honeymoon being done and everything. It, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think anybody that wants to get rid of the coach himself. Harbaugh is is not very intelligent with the game, doesn't understand because he's a pretty good coach, and I don't know if Michigan's really going to get any better. But when you're 1-4 versus your big rivals, I mean, you, you get you, you get the fair questioning. Like, there's no reason that you shouldn't be questioned, and fans should be allowed to have an opinion against him. So um, that, that's where he's at right now. But as, the, as far as the game goes itself, it's definitely on the offense and the coaching staff. I don't think the blame goes one way. I think it does go one way more than the other, and that would be more on the coaching staff. Um, I think it all starts the first drive when Michigan gets down inside the red zone and they have a chance to score. And instead of doing what they did against Purdue that worked very well and effective when they were three for three in the red zone, where they were reusing play action and rolling out and find their tight ends and doing different designs of the running game, like a yeah. little pitch to Chris Evans that they had for a touchdown on one of those plays against Purdue, stuff like that. Instead, they spread out the offense again when they got inside the, the 20 yard line that first drive. And what happened? They didn't get a touchdown. They had to kick a field goal. Yeah. Looked very familiar to the first few games in spate was in there. And then moving forward throughout the game, there was a drive where Michigan was moving down the field on the second half. It was after they scored their, the touchdown that they got. Um, it was 14-10. Higdon was moving the ball very well um, down the field. He had, he, had a few, he had a few good runs, got a couple of good first downs, and then he got another good run, and he got called back in a holding, and that put Michigan kind of in the hole and put him back at about a first and 18 or first and 20. I can't remember what it was for sure, um, if it was a spot call or not. But nevertheless, it put him back on the sticks, and immediately Michigan goes back to passing on the spread. Now, right there, I might understand it because you're 18 yards behind the stick. You can't just run it right back up the gut. I mean, you maybe could have done like a reverse or try to get it to the outside, but I don't mind passing in that situation. I think the problem is after that drive, when Michigan had first and 10s, they went right back away from it and tried to throw in a hurricane the entire game, like you said. And that's just purely not acceptable. I mean, it's it's not, yes, Tim Drevenel is the one making the calls, and they're not good. But Jim Harbaugh needs to make adjustments and say it himself. He needs to stop. And, and he was the one after the game, um, and, I, and I don't want to say that I'm for sure quoting him word for word here, but the general census that I got is that he said they were trying to put together drives for the people that I want to criticize them passing. 
you're not going to put together anything when your quarterback's throwing interception after interception and you're not moving the ball on field. Everyone's dropping passes. I mean, there, there were yeah. screen passes that people were literally just dropping, and it's not even because they were running before they caught the ball. It's because it was so slippery and there's so much rain that they simply couldn't catch it. So it, it was a disadvantage to Michigan, but what did I say last week in the podcast? You need to get out to a quick start against Michigan State. What did Michigan do? They got out to a slow start and dug themselves a hole. And that truly proved to be the difference in the game because by the time that bad weather came around, Michigan did have some uh, momentum going, and Michigan State yeah, made a mistake on that Michigan punt, State and they were able to get the touchdown um, on that following possession because they got the ball on, like, the what, like the 35-yard line or whatever it was. But, yep, with Khalid. Yeah, so it was, a, it was pretty much an, it was an easier score, nevertheless, and they found Grant – or actually, Grant Perry was a little bit short, and then they ran it in. Um, but, they, they, yeah, yes, yeah, Khalid. And they, and they got the touchdown there, but – Nevertheless, after that, it's just like they, they they couldn't get it back going again because that weather was so bad and they kept trying to pass in it. And, yes, that does kind of take away from the game itself because you really don't know what would have happened if the weather would have been, you know, normal and not like that. I mean, could things have worked out differently with Michigan's momentum have kept carrying over and maybe their offense plays better. But also, I don't know if yeah. Michigan State's defense plays as bad because Michigan State knew they had the lead and they knew that Michigan probably wasn't going to be able to get any more points with the way that the rain was coming down right there. So I think that Michigan State hung on for dear life at the end of that game and just literally played to run, not turn the ball over, and punt it away and not make any more mistakes because the only reason that they gave Michigan eight points in the first place that second half when the weather started to get that way was because they made a mistake. So they built themselves a big enough lead at the beginning of the game, and it's Michigan's fault for digging themselves a hole. I will say there was a, a very questionable call. Um, it was actually after the Tyzik fumble that set up the first touchdown for Michigan State. Um, there was an unsportsmanlike conduct that was uh, called against, um, I think it was Devin Bush. And clearly, if you go back and you look at it, you can see that the Michigan State player pushes him mm-hmm. first. And in my opinion, when someone starts something and then someone pushes back, that should be called both ways and be an offsetting penalty, and it would have resulted in a, another third down try for Michigan State instead of just giving them 15 yards and a first down. So essentially, that did set Michigan State up for a touchdown. And if you know if it, if it doesn't get called, it was a third and long Michigan State more than likely is probably going to have to kick a field goal in that situation if they don't get the first down, and then it's a 10-10 to 10 game. Ends up being a difference in the game. So that was a big penalty that I really you know went back yeah. and looked for and found that was a big difference. But, I mean, you can you can go and say what you want about the John O'Corn, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the flop yeah. along the sideline. Obviously, that call went Michigan's way. But yeah. there was a few plays before that where he clearly got pelted into the ground, and they didn't call a roughing the passer that should have should have been called. I mean, he got... Yeah. He got picked up and shoved in the ground. He did unsportsmanlike conduct or roughing the pass there. It was a bad, bad miss call. So there was a couple calls running against Michigan. There was a second half full of bad weather when they started to get momentum. It kind of got ruined. But at the end of the day, you got no one to blame but yourselves. And I think that you can put that blame on the offense for not executing some of the plays. But I think more or less it's just the coaching staff putting them in that situation. And Jim Harbaugh needs to step up. I mean, one and four against rivals is not acceptable. And not making adjustments against your own coaching staff when these plays clearly aren't working and thinking that passing the ball and whether like that is going to work is just completely asinine. So really, I think, you know, I'd say about 30% of it goes to the offense and 70% of it probably goes to the coaching staff in this one. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty pretty nice of you to say that. I would say that probably 90% to the coaching <laughs> staff, 10% to the offense. I mean, you you absolutely have to execute what your coaches want you to do. Yeah. But the, the coaches did not put them in, in a position to succeed Mm-mm. in this game whatsoever. They, they were doing well getting down the down the field uh, on that first drive, running with Higdon. 
and running with Evans, it was working very well. But once you get set up with, uh, it wasn't first and goal, but it was, it was, I'm pretty sure at the 12 or 11 yard line. So it's about as close to a first and goal as you could get. First play that they did was a Chris Evans run, got like three or four yards, um, something like that. I, I thought that was fine. You know, you just get a couple, couple yards to set up. What's next? But what's next? I did not approve of a, <laughs> a, a fade to the right side of the end zone in the back That's of the end zone to, to Sean McCune. It, it, it's just, what makes you think that a play like that is going to work with a young makes- tight end with, <laughs> with a fifth year senior quarterback uh, that is not fit to be making fade passes in college? Uh, I mean, I, I understand that Pep Hamilton, the quarterback's coach now, uh, or the passing game coordinator, whatever his official title is that Harbaugh gave him, um, whatever his title is, he, he came from the Cleveland Browns. He came from the NFL. He's setting these guys up for failure because he's trying to accommodate to the way that he is used to, uh, you know, really setting up the passing game and that's mm-hmm, making that's NFL like throws. That is not the way that John O'Korn is used to playing football and nor will it ever be the way that he's used to playing football. He is more of a West coast style, uh, quarterback and you just have to Adjust to your talent. Don't adjust to what you used to do. You, sometimes as a coach, you just got to exactly. do that. I mean, yes. period. You have to – I think in 2015, that's a lot of what Michigan yeah, did. Yeah, exactly, and it worked out in their favor. So, uh, you know, that that pass play to Sean McCune in the back of the end zone did not obviously work. And then that ensuing uh, play, it was third down and seven at that point after that incompletion. They do the same thing on the left side of the field with Eddie McDoom. I don't understand why you're doing that with a six-foot receiver – uh, who barely gets playing time on the outside, uh, regardless. Uh, you know, he barely gets playing time in, in the receiver position anyways. He barely got playing time before Tariq Black got hurt. <laughs> yeah, it, it just it baffles me. Why would you not do that with – if you're going to do it, at least do it with the right guy. At least why do go it. Away, why go away from what worked all week – or all, all the whole drive? Why go away from what worked the whole drive? And why go away what works against Purdue? Exactly. Why go away from anything exactly. that was working? Exactly. I, I, I don't get it. And what baffles me the most – is that Harbaugh claims that he has the final say on play calls. But before he gets the final say, these ass clowns, Tim Drevno and Pep Hamilton and all these guys are approving of this play, of this fade to Eddie McDoom on third down and seven, and they're all in agreement. So Harbaugh <laughs> saying that everything goes through me, that means that at least three offensive coaches said that that was a good idea. I am yeah. a 23-year-old blogger, as far as I'm concerned. You could you can call me a blogger. I don't mind. Uh, I'm a 23-year-old blogger, and there's no way that I would ever make that play call. There's no way. No, I don't think that many people would. <laughs> there's 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 absolutely no way. After that after that three-yard run with Chris Evans uh, that set you up for second and seven, run the ball again. And then after that, run the ball again. And if it doesn't work, then you kick your field goal. And, and maybe maybe do a pass play on third down, uh, but I definitely wouldn't be doing a fade to the back of the end zone uh, with a six-foot-nothing receiver that, uh, if, quite frankly, can't really catch the ball all that well. Kirk Herbstreit, who I think knows the game very well, um, calling the game up in the booth. Yeah. I, I think the entire game, you know, it was hard for him not to laugh at sometimes. And some of the some, – like Michigan just kept – yeah. Coming out late in that game and doing these same things with passing the ball. And he's basically trying to say without actually saying it, like, why is Michigan throwing the ball? Why do they, why do they keep doing these plays? Like, I, I could just hear it in the way that he was saying things, like just questioning why Michigan, like questioning heavy 
why Michigan was trying so hard to do what they were trying to do with their offense yeah. instead of going back to what worked. He kept basically saying, you know, this is supposed to be Jim Harbaugh fo- football. It's supposed to be Michigan. Why aren't you running the ball in these kind of situations? It's not it's specifically what you're talking about in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, you specifically don't have to um, just you don't you don't specifically just run the ball or run it up the gut. Don't get cute. You don't have to get. You don't have to get. All you got to do is make sure that you're getting yards and to do that. Exactly. No, I agree with that 100. percent I think if you just yeah. roll out and try to find your tight end or do something along those lines, I think I think it works out a lot better. I, I don't know why. You're not going back to the simple passes that were working the entire drive. Just because the field gets shorter doesn't mean those short passes you were doing before aren't going to work. You don't, right. you don't. You don't have to take. It's laughable. I mean, you don't have to take shots to the end zone every single time you're doing it. And I understand that. I understand taking a shot downfield. One play that I'll say that I really liked that they did. It was at the end of the third quarter. Instead of just like taking it when you know some someone might be off balance and think, okay, Michigan's just going to let the clock tick down to the end of the quarter. Yeah. yeah. They took the snap and they went for the deep shot. And sure, they didn't get it. But that's the kind of play that I'm okay with when it's a first and 10 and you're on your own 35-yard line. There's a difference. You have to take shots downfield. If Higdon yeah. doesn't have the absolute worst penalty of the game with the holding, if he doesn't – and not to say that was a bad call, it was the right call. I'm just saying that that was a bad play by Higdon. Yeah. If he's the worst part is that guy's probably not even going to catch a corner. Corn gets rid of the ball right after that. So that's the worst part about the whole thing. Yeah, it was unnecessary. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you you can do plays like that early in the drive, but when you get that close, you just got to stick to what works and what has worked in the past. And now we're not even pointing back to last year. We're just pointing back to the last time they played a game when they played against Purdue. And that and that was simply dumping it off to a tight end or doing more or less uh, trickery plays, not really trickery, but uh, different directional plays with the, with the running game. You just have to switch it up in simpler plays. That doesn't mean you need to throw fades to the corner of the end zone, like you said. That's an NFL offense, not a college offense. I, I agree with that take 100%, Ron. Yeah, absolutely, and it's, it doesn't take a blind man to really see that. Um, I, I, yeah. I just, I, I still find all of this just so baffling. How, uh, you know, five, it, it takes five games into the season for and a loss uh, at home under the lights uh, on ABC primetime television to, uh, you, you know, your second biggest rival. Uh, it takes all of that for for people to finally realize, uh, you know, really what the faults of the offense have been. And and that's really no, uh, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about the offensive line yet because they are uh, to blame a little bit as well. Uh, you know, Nolan Ulysio, he got benched. I uh, can't remember if it was the start of the second half or close to the end of the first half, but he was benched in favor of Juwan Bushel-Beatty, who quite frankly didn't, you know, isn't a huge upgrade at this moment in time, but uh, it is an upgrade nonetheless that, that needed to happen. Uh, the pass protection was just absolutely brutal in this game. Uh, John O'Corn got sacked four times, probably got hit another 36, uh, if not more than that. I mean, it just seemed like every time that uh, that he, he was trying to pass, he, he was on the ground faster than uh, yeah. faster than anybody. So it, it's one thing. One thing I really want to point out is, yes, Michigan State does have a pretty good defense, okay? It's been good at times this year, and I'm not going to point away from that. But I'm not saying this just because, you know, I work for Mason Brew and it's a Michigan fan blog. I'm saying this out of all honesty. I don't think that that Michigan State team is a very good team. I don't think that period, and I don't think that Michigan's any better than them because they lost to them. I think that I think that Michigan is the team that I thought they were coming into the season, which was an 8-4 and four team. I think that's around where they're going to finish now. But – what I'm trying to say is is this is just simply unacceptable. Yep. I mean, no matter where you want to look at it, you lose under the lights at home to a team like Michigan State that really this is not one of their better years. I don't think it'll go on to be one of their better years. There's no way that this team that has scored zero points in the second half of two straight games now 
when you, I mean, I, granted, it was a bad weather game. Like I said, I think Michigan State was just trying to kind of put this game away, but against Iowa, they didn't either. Their offense is not that good, and then I can be able to compete with teams like Ohio State and Penn State. I don't really see Michigan being able to do it right now either, I, unless there's a lot of changes really soon. Michigan is such a good team that on offense, you know, I, I just I don't see a lot of chemistry, and I think there's just a lot of young players that aren't gelling well right now. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I, I don't think the chemistry is there. I don't think that they've really found out who they are. It seems like they're trying to do one thing one week, and then the next week they just go away from all that entirely. Uh, you know, like you said earlier, uh, the offensive plays with John O'Korn against Purdue seem to work out really well. Uh, you know, getting those tight ends involved and, and having the run game be as effective as it was. And in this game, they kind of abandoned that, try to do more passing plays. Uh, which led to those three back-to-back-to-back interceptions for John O'Corn. Uh, I know that the weather had, a, you know, kind of a little factor, in, especially in that third one where he was trying to pitch it. But uh, nonetheless, there's three interceptions. It's still going to show up on the stat sheet as three interceptions, regardless of weather, regardless of anything. So uh, you, ju- you just got to be in a better position to, uh, you know, make plays and succeed. And that all starts with the coaching staff. And uh, right now I am uh, highly questioning uh, the coaching staff, starting with Tim Drevno and Pat Hamilton. I mean, I, I can just I can just look ahead right now, and if Michigan keeps like you're alluding to with the play calling and the offense being where it's at, when you got Penn State and Wisconsin on the road and Ohio State, It'll be I just don't see them. I don't see them beating any three of those teams right now. I really don't. I definitely don't see them beating Penn State yeah, in the whiteout yeah, at night. Not, not in a million not. years, to be completely uh, honest with you. I just this team. There'd have to be a lot of improvements, and I, I mean, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that the second half was tough weather to play in, and maybe they can fix some of the stuff. But I just don't see that. I don't see the play calling right now. I think the mission's stuck in their own ways and yeah. thinks that it's going to work, and it's just not gonna. I, I, I feel like I feel like their coaching staff is too stubborn to change. And in the past two years, I just noticed a lot more adjustment adjustments is what I want to say. And right now, I, I'm just not noticing it. I'm not seeing the same kind of difference making from Harbaugh as a coach and from a from an adjustment standpoint they're just rolling with the same thing that isn't working it's, it's really frustrating to see them take a step back from where they were at against Purdue running their offense the way they did to be able to wait, run it the way they did against Michigan State it's absolutely frustrating to see that especially considering that they had a bye week last yeah, week to make sure that they worse. were ready and prepared it, it's horrible and to make sure that they were ready uh well prepared and uh, it, especially for the night game, like Har- uh, Harbaugh said earlier last week uh, before leading up to the state game that, you know, it's going to change their game plan a little bit because they're not used to the night games and Harbaugh always complains about the night games. But the fact of the matter is you have to have your team prepared. You have to have them ready. And I think especially with a bye week, they should have been able to oh, do no. that. But it, uh, it did not happen. Um so I guess we'll just have to wait and see how they play against Indiana. Maybe they'll go back to that run game uh, since, you know, they're flipping and flopping offensively uh, every other week. So <laughs> we, we can <laughs> we can only hope it. I, I don't think but... that Michigan loses to Indiana, but I just don't – I don't see this team, I guess right now, just being a team that's going to be able to beat teams that are above them. It's just – it's hard for me to imagine it when they lost a game like this to Michigan State. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at Florida now, and, I, and Florida does not look like a, a team that was very good. I mean, still credit no. credit Michigan for beating them on, in a big game with all these young players um, on the road, or not on the road, but in a neutral site like that. That's not an easy win by any means. Um, but still, at, at this point in the season, this is the kind of game you simply can't lose if you want to go to the college football playoff. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very winnable game. I mean, um, I, I can already right now, I will put my life on it, Von, my life savings, which is not a lot because I'm in college, but I'll put my <laughs> life savings into they at least lose one of these three games against the big three left in their schedule. So that's why you simply oh. can't have a loss against a, a team like Michigan State. Andy, I'll, I'll uh, put all of my life savings <laughs> in with you. Um, I, I'm pretty confident in that. No, this is – Bare minimum, a three-loss team at this point. Um, I, I think it's pretty safe to yeah. say that, uh, which is really what the expectations were heading into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at it that way, you know, people coming into the season were saying, you know, this is a nine and three uh, team, ten and two at the very most. I, maybe I had eight and four, eight. and I'm feeling pretty good about it right now. To be clear, yeah, honest. yeah. I mean, some people were saying, you know, maybe you'll beat Ohio State this year since it's at home and the defense. Uh, you know, people were, were high on the defense, obviously not as high as, you know, how they've played. They've played, you know, at an elite level. Mm-hmm. This is an Alabama-esque defense, uh, especially with given uh, how young they are and how, how fast they are, the mm-hmm. speed. On, um, you know, people were saying, you know, maybe you'll beat Ohio State. You should be able to beat Michigan State. Penn State will be iffy on the road. Wisconsin will be iffy on the road, but we'll see. Um, and, and at this point, I, I'm kind of kind of around there. You know, this is a 9-3 and three, at the at the very least, I would say, um, you know, I think they do end up beating at least one of those uh, three teams: Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State. Um, you know, hope yeah, you, you hope for the best, but yep. I would I would say they'll they'll probably win one of those, and if I had to guess, it'd probably be Wisconsin. All right, but but that that's that's my prediction for there. Um, but but we'll leave it at that for now. I want to get in really quickly. We don't have a whole lot of time left. But I want to get into some Michigan hoops, actually. And uh, we uh, Michigan got a couple commits last week during the uh, midst of the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry uh, hate week. They got a couple couple hoops commits. Andy, how, how about how about you uh, uh, take the floor here and, and give us a rundown of, of these guys that Michigan was able to, to get to commit to them? Actually, Michigan uh, wrapped up a couple of big recruits last week. That was an 18 class. Um, Colin Castellone was one of the people that Michigan got. That was actually the uh, final recruit that Michigan got of the week. That came on Wednesday. And then on Monday, Adrian Nunez was another player that Michigan got um, earlier in the week, and they joined the class now of David DeJulius, um, Ignis Brasdikas, and Brana Johns um, so for the five class. And I, I apologize for your readers out there for my headline. Um, they actually switched like right after I published my story from Michigan being the number two recruiting class to the number three. So that's where the that's where the confusion that's where the confusion came from. That um, I I had it set as number two, and then I went back and checked about fifteen minutes later and switched to three. And I'm like, well, that's just my luck. But um, no, <laughs> but right. yeah, but anyway, so they have the number three overall recruiting class 2018. Um, they have five players now that are coming in that can play at five different positions, and I, I think that that is very impressive um, for John Beeline to be able to do and be able to lock down this early. Um, he's actually won over on their uh, scholarship entitlement right now um, with the players, but you're allowed to do that per Big Ten um, rules. And it's very important to mention these rules right now with what's been going on over the, you know, the past few weeks here in college basketball. Um, but they're allowed to do that. And with the odds of uh, Moritz Wagner, I, I would believe that he is probably going to leave after this season. He's the man this year. Whatever happens, yeah, he's probably trying absolutely. to go to the NBA. Um, that'll, that'll open up that door for that final spot. So Michigan's depth will immediately you know, just be – emphasized and larger and it'll be it'll be good for um john b and that staff and um i think right now um if you're a michigan basketball fan this is time to be thankful that you have john b line oh, just yeah. with everything that's been going on with uh rick rick patino and 
all these guys and stuff that he's able to lock down five recruits like he did and Colin Castellon, the guy that a lot of people are actually, you know, predicting to be kind of like a Moritz Wagner once he gets some more meat on him. Um, he's, he's a little bit uh, under undersized, not undersized, not, not as bulky right now, but he will get there, obviously, with working out at uh, Michigan. But just to get some of these recruits and be able to put them in the 2018 class and do it the right way, which is something that needs to be emphasized right now, um, I think is I think it's very impressive. And uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, or uh, if, if you don't uh, subscribe to The Athletic, you should read Brendan Quinn's article that he did um, on John Beeline and how more coaches need to be like him um, moving forward. I, I agree with that 100%. I think that the way that he does it is uh, so good. He's, he's a part of a bunch of programs when it comes to recruiting and following rules by the book. Um, that not not many, if any, Power Five coaches could say anymore. So um, it's very impressive that they're able to lock down a class like this, and I, I think that it's going to be big. And uh, obviously, like Brendan pointed out in that article, um, I kind of like how he ended it with saying that last season Michigan kind of got their revenge against Louisville um, in that game uh, by beating them in the um, round of 32 to move on to the Sweet 16. And you know, in the end, he said maybe uh, maybe the good guy doesn't always lose, and I think that that's where. John Beeline is definitely at right now. I think that he, uh, I think he, I think he should feel that's like a, a really winner good if he line. Right now. <laughs> I think that sometimes the good guy doesn't always. That's awesome. Um, you know, definitely got the revenge there mm-hmm. with the win, and then yeah, I kind of pointed that out too. That um, that if it, if it was indeed Patino's final time as as the head coach, that his uh, final game was a loss against Michigan in the tournament, and that 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 kind of gives me some uh, against Michigan some, some sweet. It just, it just puts a smile on my face to be able to say that and, uh, you know, have that be a reality. So definitely nice with uh, the, the 2013 championship and all that stuff that happened. But, yeah, it is definitely great to have a guy like John mm-hmm. Beeline as your head coach recruiting these uh, fine young gentlemen and, and being a uh, fine young gentleman himself, John Beeline. It seems like he's a real good guy and uh, a real good coach, and hopefully the fire Beeline crowd uh, kind of is it's dead at this point because uh yeah oh it's, yeah it's been ridiculous from the start man if you if you if, <laughs> if you want to go back and look at where michigan basketball oh, was at before he got here 10 years ago and you tell me that he should be fired i i think that you know and it, this recruiting in the same state as tom Izzo is so hard as it already is because that's a guy yeah i mean and that's something that isn't you know pointed around enough you know and he said it in his press conference a week ago on thursday um, he said that, you know, we might've missed out on some of these recruits in the past, some of these five-star guys and people that we didn't get, but that's, if, but if, they, if they're going to come around here asking for, yeah. you know, any kind of money for their family or whatever it is, I can tell, I'll tell them right away, they're off my list and, you know, we're not going to talk to them or they or we can be off their list because that's just the way that it is. It's not, he said, that's not how Michigan basketball does it. And that's the way that he runs it. And I, I just think that, you know, obviously over the summer being voted the cleanest coach in college basketball, um, he kind of laughed about the uh, the reward and just kind of like shook it off, you know, yeah. being uh, not or being humble as he is. Um, but at the end of the day, that's a very good reward to get. And I think it proves true for the kind of guy that he is just quietly um, over his coaching career. has just been one of the better coaches in I, college I basketball and he does it the right way. Could not agree with you more. Uh, so ni- nice job there, Andy. Glad that we were able to talk some hoops today. But um, yeah. No, for sure. And any Michigan basketball fans looking out for when it does come, this is a, this is a great 2018 um, recruiting class. I think that these guys are going to be stuff that fans are very happy with. They Brandon Johns is the person that was huge for John Beeline to get back at the time because he was like the number one player in the state. So that's just something that shows right there how how much Michigan basketball is getting. Maybe just from last season, showing that you know there are a couple of years there where they made the yeah. Final Four and the Elite Eight weren't just a couple of year wonders. They can do that every year. 
And John Bielan will get the most out of his players. And this class, like, you know, if you pay attention on Twitter, a lot of these guys, um, the recruits that have committed to Michigan, they're retweeting each other's tweets. They're quoting them. They're they're all about each other, and the chemistry already seems to be building good, and they believe in each other. So whatever John Bielan has done to be able to get these guys there, it's good. They seem to like each other, and I, I think it's going to be very good for Michigan basketball moving forward. I think they're – I think – the yeah. best word to put it Absolutely. is just positive. I Absolutely think, for positive. Future so over the next we'll, few, we'll uh, be sure to check in more on hoops as the uh, season gets ready to kick off. Here, it it is getting close, man. I'm getting pretty it's excited. I, I always look forward to the start of the college basketball season. Um, yeah, it, it it's gonna be good. Between, I can't wait uh, for this year. That. I'll tell you that. And our Central Michigan Chippewas, we got to root for uh, for CMU. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they do. Yeah, they are. They play Michigan this year, and whether I'm there for CM Life or for Mason Brew, I'm not sure. I, I, I have been told by Anthony, our cool. uh, head guy here, that I will be going to cover some of those games. Just not sure which ones yet for Michigan basketball. So, Yeah, yeah, that's going to be really great. I look forward to that. But um, I think that's, that's about all the time we got today. Uh, we will be back next week with our Indiana recap and – Hopefully we're not as angry next week as we are today. So, uh, but but for Andy and uh, for myself, Vaughn, uh, we will talk at you guys next time. Go blue.